This morning, we conclude our series on the songs of scripture, celebrating how singing shapes the saints and through us, God shapes the world. Today, we study a song for peace. We see God's promise for peace for those who totally trust in him. Please join me in reading Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they when they have grain than when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I add my greetings to those you have heard and invite you to keep your Bibles open to Psalm 4. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, then I encourage you to open your phone. If you don't have a phone or a Bible, guess what? If you're feeling adventurous, we have Bibles in the back of the pew for you. And to help you, it's page 529. Here's the reality. We worship God by studying the Word of God and trusting that the Spirit of God uh, will conform us more into the image of God. Uh, So let's go to the God of the Word before we study the Word of God together and ask for His blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your revelation to us. We ask that You would give us hearts to receive, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Lord, we long not just to be inspired, but truly transformed, that we may look more like You and serve You more fruitfully in all that we do. Lord, please remove any distractions of our heart. And speak to us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Now that your Bibles are open, I want to begin by asking you a question. Do you think that you can sleep on a roller coaster? All the twists, all the turns, all the ups, all the downs. Would you have enough peace to actually rest on a roller coaster? The invitation of today's psalm is to be touched by God's grace on such a deep level that in the roller coaster of life, All the ups and the downs, the twists and the turns, the unexpected and sudden surprises that you, through God himself, can have peace that surpasses all understanding. The reality is that you and I seek peace and we seek security in all the wrong places and all the wrong people. Rather than have peace, our pain is eventually amplified. We have no rest on the roller coaster of life. We are a lot like the president of Niger who was taken hostage the past few weeks. You've probably followed it in the the news, if you read the news at all. If you don't, let me inform you that in one of the most stable countries in West Africa, which is actually a pretty important place in the world right now, uh, that the president, the second elected, democratically elected president was taken hostage. It is a big deal for geopolitical relationships, but for us, how he was taken hostage is actually important. He hired people 
to protect him so that when he rested, he could have peace. When he was taken hostage, the very people that he had hired for his protection, after he laid down to rest, captured him and took him prisoner. And now they're refusing to negotiate. That's a big deal. But it illustrates for us a bigger deal. The people in the places that you trust for security will let you down. Worse than that, they'll actually take you hostage. And just like the whole region of West Africa right now, we're worried about the stability in the area. When you're taken hostage by the false places of peace that you look, it gives turmoil to not only your life, but the whole life around you. Family, friendships, the whole ecosystem. The invitation today is for us to experience the peace of God. The only place that is worthy, the only person that is worthy of our total trust and concrete confidence. Today we're going to begin with the end in mind. That is the goal that our hearts hunger for. We're going to reverse engineer peace and rest for people that belong to God. Look at verse 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. David is writing this psalm. David is called in 2 Samuel the sweet psalmist of Israel. And he is celebrating the peace that can be found in the most problematic circumstances. And we're going to get to those in just a moment. But this peace that we sing about is designed to shape us as the people of God. The reality is, as we studied in scripture this summer, in June we established the paradigm and then we unpacked it in July. How the songs of scripture shape the saints. And in, the, in a world that is hungry for peace, every family in here, every workplace where you are, every school that you're going to this week or this semester, uh, every place in your neighborhoods that you go, people are hungering for peace. The invitation is to be shaped by peace and through you for God to bring peace, shalom, to the places where he sends you. This is where David is taking us. And it's important to see that at the end of the psalm, look at this. He says, in you I both lie down and sleep in peace. David possesses peace at this place. And what we're going to discover, listen to this, is that what begins as a petition for peace ends as a possession of peace. When you totally trust the God of peace. This is the invitation that Davis, David leads us on this journey. But he, he's got more than a good night's rest in view. He's not just talking about committing ourselves to uh, totally trusting God when we lay down and go to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. That's important. But he has in view the most problematic and dangerous scenarios that we can imagine. You'll see when we unpack the historical context why St. Augustine draws a direct line from this verse all the way to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 and 55. You remember that? He says, Paul writes, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O grave, is your sting? That the resurrection of Jesus swallowed up even the pain of death because we in that can have peace of Christ. This is why. Martin Luther said of this verse that he wanted to hear these words as the last words he heard before he died. 
This verse, the power of this verse, goes far beyond laying our head down at night to rest. It, it, it's peace and rest in the face of end-life peril, of extreme problems and severe pain, and even persecution, crisis that arises. This is the kind of peace that the prophet Isaiah talked about in Isaiah 26.3, that you can have perfect peace promised through God. This is the peace that the Apostle Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 4. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. This in peace he finds in the Lord alone comes through real relationship and you need to examine your heart. Do you know the Lord this personally where his peace is yours? Do you trust the Lord this holistically, this comprehensively, that you can have peace in every up and down and twist and turn of life? You see, this passage is an invitation, but it also calls us to self-examination. Do we know Christ in the way that he longs for us to? The first point that we see in verse 7 as we reverse engineer the peace and rest for people that belong to God is that relationship with God comes from the heart. You, you see it clearly. He says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Joy in our heart. Relationship with a living God gives joy from the peace and presence of God in our heart. I love my job, my calling uh, in many ways, but one specific way of many, dozens, maybe hundreds, is when I get to talk with people about the difference it makes when we know Jesus Christ personally. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking with someone. It's not an uncommon conversation in a, in a congregation as old as ours, historic, and in a community that's, a, that's saturated with religion, the history of the Catholic Church here. It's not uncommon for people to begin to wake up and say, you know, I think knowing Jesus personally is different than the, relation, the, the religion I've always practiced. And this one guy, as, as lights begin to come on in his soul, he began to articulate how he thought his Christian faith was just about baptism and confirmation and, you know, going to church when I'm supposed to, like Christmas and Easter and things like that. But he, he began to be touched by God's Spirit and began to realize that real joy in our heart comes from knowing Christ personally. And as we continue to reverse engineer, we see this is exactly what David has in mind. The people of God worshiping in the place of God, where God dwells in the temple, he gives psalms of worship. After sacrifices have been made, songs begin to flow from the heart. Joy becomes, begins to flow more than grain, more than wine, in their abundance. And that's written by a very prosperous king. Joy can abound. And we see in verse 6, it's, it's blessings uh, that come upon your head. Lift up your light, your face, it shines upon us. They call upon the Arionic blessing from Numbers chapter 6. In verses 4 to 5, uh, we see that there's total trust in the Lord personally. And it's exhibited by a, a, a righteous life and a holy life. And he gives six imperatives 
that helps us diagnose as well as invites us to to see how deeply we trust God in our circumstances, how far the personal relationship goes down into the person of our being, our very soul. You see, the sacrifice makes people right. In the Old Testament, it was lambs, it was goats, it was bulls. In the New Testament, we know those are just foreshadowings of the greater sacrifice, Christ. But from that place, from the temple, from Christ to us, we have six admonitions that come from David. Look at the first one in in verse 4. You see it? Be angry. Be angry. That's the first imperative. Be angry. You say, Mitchell, I thought this was evidence. I thought this was supposed to be righteousness and holiness. Anger is a sin, right? Nope. You can be angry and not sin, says David here and Paul in Ephesians 4. Think about Jesus when he was in the temple and he turned over tables. He was angry at the the misuse of, of God's space where he intended to meet with his people. The abuse of that. To be angry and to not sin. This is to to be angry at the problem and not at people. The Greek word for anger that Paul uses in Ephesians 4, it actually means to tear something up. And when we have anger and we get angry at people and we tear them up, that's sinful. If we hold in our anger at the injustices of the world, the, the pain and the problems of our society, and we hold it in, we tear ourselves up. That is a main cause for depression and anxiety. But when we actually exercise a righteous anger at the problems, then we demonstrate that we have a peace and security that comes in Christ. The first imperative, be angry. Second, do not sin. It's it's to have a right focus on on our anger, for our anger, our righteous anger, and to repent where our anger is unrighteous. Third, ponder. You see ponder there. Ponder in your hearts, on your beds. Pondering is a simple, uh, giving acronym, all right, to remember this. Ponder, it's literally to pause and to pray, to open your heart, to notice in the work of God, prioritizing even in your struggles where his steadfast love is working. It's deciding, D, to meditate on God's work, to meditate on God's work, to meditate on God's character, even in the midst of of crisis. E, and then it is to lean in expectantly, expecting the spirit to bring life, expecting God to work. I was reminded of this yesterday. Tragically, our long-term ministry partner, Christian Assistant Ministry, a ministry that came out of this church, had a fire. Their whole warehouse burned down. And talking with leaders over there, volunteers that serve, one theme emerged. We trust a God who brings beauty from ashes. We expect God to bring strength from struggle. This idea of pondering necessitates that even in the midst of our crisis, we know we're redeemed by Christ who can bring comeback. The guy who demonstrates that he turns graves into gardens, as the song says. Jesus brings beauty from ashes, and we expect Holy Spirit to work through our struggles. And finally, the R is that we rejoice and give thanks. This is why James and Peter and John and authors of the New Testament are constantly telling the church in struggles, in persecution, in conflict, to rejoice and always give thanks. And the the fourth imperative is be silent. To be still. 
You're so secure in God's steadfast love that you can be still and know he is God. And that you can offer is the, last, is the, the, the fifth one. You see this? Uh, verse five, offer right sacrifices. In response to God's sacrifice for us that makes us right, we make a right sacrifice Even in our groaning and in the grind of the pain and problems of this world, we're giving. We're living generously, trusting God's sovereign grace. And finally, this is the last imperative, put your trust in the Lord. You see, we have a problem. We hear all of these and we can diagnose it, but we still don't fully put our trust in the Lord. We trust what we see. We trust our own strength and resources. We trust how many numbers are after a comma in our bank account. We trust our connections. We trust our pedigree. We trust our, our, our protection that, that, that is visible. And because of the abundance of places we look, we forfeit true peace because we don't fully trust the Lord. This is the invitation of what happens with people who truly know the Lord. We lean too much on our own understanding and live by what we see and feel. And we forfeit peace. I'm reminded my my mentor uh, used to tell me all the time. He said, Mitchell, feelings are good, but you can't trust your feelings. When you have hypothermia, you feel tired. But if you go to sleep, you die. He was positive, but not in that case. You always say that. Don't, Don't trust your feelings. There's a greater truth. Maybe you saw the story this week uh, outside of Gunnison, Colorado, where that actually happened. Uh, a, a, a woman, her sister, and a teenage boy got very scared by uh, the headlines of the world, the unrest economically, the turmoil politically, the uncertainty of their future, and they thought, following some conspiracy theories, that the best place for them to go was to in the wilderness, in the woods, to get away, to hide, like Jeremiah Johnson, wilderness man. They went out there unprepared. They were caught off guard by an early winter. You remember the winter we had in Colorado, the snow last year, and all through the Midwest and the mountains, tons of snow. Just last week, their bodies were found because they froze to death. The very place that they went for refuge is the very place that ended up killing them. And this is what happens when we turn to the wrong place to trust looking for peace. We have to have security in God's steadfast love. And this is where David goes in verse 3. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. As we reverse engineer this peace and we realize that real relationship brings joy from our hearts. That we are secure in God's steadfast love. Why? Look at what he says. God sets us apart for himself. This is ownership. God owns you. God loves you. If you belong to God, you are bought with a price. You are not your own. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. This is a possession reality. This is what Paul, uh, the prophet Hosea celebrates in Hosea 1. This is what is celebrated in the covenant language of Exodus. That God will be our God and we will be our people. This is the hope that Ruth had as a refugee and a widow, devastated by the fall of life and clinging to Naomi, saying, I will be among God's people. He will be my God. This is the surety that we have in the promise of Jesus that was just read in baptism. I will never leave you or forsake you. You are a people in Christ that God has chosen for himself. 
And Paul says it in Romans that there's nothing in creation, no suffering, no death, no height, no depth, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In fact, he says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Answer, no one, no thing at any time in any way because God has set you apart for himself. That, my friends, is security. And it's guaranteed by the next point in verse 3. He hears you when you call. As a child calls to a parent, God hears and he responds. As a parent hears a call of a child, God hears and he will respond. He will give you peace. He will secure your identity as his child. Here's the reality. And one of the, one of the toughest things of trials is it calls us to question our identity. David, I'm sure, am I really chosen to be king? Can it be this difficult? Am I really a child of God? It doesn't seem like God hears me. It doesn't seem like God is with me. We question our identity. But the trouble of trials, it's actually tripled when, you're, when your identity is in false places. If you really believe your identity is in what you do, that your worth is actually like your worth, that you're proven to be worthy of something if you're productive in life, if you think your secure identity comes in your status, that your significance comes in what you have, then the trouble that comes in trials, it's, it's tripled. It gets so much worse when our false identities are ripped from us. But the invitation of this is that we can be secure in God's steadfast love and come to him as his children. And here's the truth. You're going to need to be secure in that reality. We're not going to leave here today and exit into perfect shalom. We're not. And this is the last point. Struggle, suffering, pain, problems, they're going to be, until uh, so Jesus comes back, a reality in our life. We live in a fallen world. We'll always be marked with grieving, but Christians can have hope in the midst of that. The solution is not to isolate. The solution is not to medicate. The solution is not to lean on your own understanding, but to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Hearts that hunger for God to hear, look at the first two verses. The hungry heart that's articulated by David, answer me when I call. Give me relief in distress. Be gracious to me. The position of his dependence is, is helplessness, pleading for grace and using the covenant name of the Lord. But the hard times and heavy headlines continue. I want you to look with me at verse 2. If you've got an ESV, you'll see it has a footnote there. It says, O oh, men. And th this is actually where we see the heart of David's hard times. That word, O oh, men, the footnote says, O oh, men of rank. This is a Hebrew expression. It, it doesn't have ordinary people in view, but like highborn people, uh, people that are prominent in society, people that are like nobles and officials, powerful aristocracy. 
And the specific problem that David is facing is that high-born people are turning his glory into shame. And it's amplified because David is not only king, but it's his son Absalom that is leading the coup against him. And if you know anything about the history of 2 Samuel, where we read why Absalom turned against him, you know David is not blameless. But Absalom, the son that gives glory to a father, is turning it into shame by leading a coup. David is facing apostasy within his ranks. His cabinet's turning against him, and his country no longer trusts him as their leader. Just like in the country of Niger. The people that are supposed to be protecting David have actually turned against him. The crisis remains, and the king wonders, am I a king in my country anymore, or am I a refugee in my own land? Here's what's so amazing. Even in the midst of his trials and his troubles, family fracturing, national uncertainty, civil unrest, identity being questioned, David's petition for peace becomes possession. He has peace. Not because David is an exemplar, because he is a king that points to a greater king. That in the midst of our unbelief, Jesus was a king who fully believed. In the midst of us facing problems and pains and turning to things of this world, Jesus entered into problems and pain, but was without sin. And when we face the the fear of death and the horror of uncertainty, Jesus himself was obedient, representing us, going into the garden and praying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus entered unrest to the point of death. So for all of us who have unrest and even uncertainty in the face of death, we can have concrete confidence in the promises of God that are all yes in Christ. In America, we live in the most secure country, the most secure period of history of any time in the world. Any one of you tonight is going to lock your doors when you pull your car in your house. You're going to lock your house on multiple levels. You'll probably set an alarm, and our hearts will still cry out for more peace, even though we're so secure, with the police most of the time a phone call away. When you go through that process of your routine, with your car, in your home, whatever it is, looking at your bank account, whatever it is, I pray that you will experience a holy unsettledness, knowing that, yes, safety measures are important, but nothing can give you peace like Jesus Christ. Total trust in the Lord, concrete confidence, so much so that when you are without anything, you can be content and safe in him. He longs for you to lean not on your own understanding, but to trust in him from real relationship with all of your heart, giving you perfect peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are peace and that you give peace. We thank you that you died outside of peace so that we can have peace with you. 
We thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives fruit of peace. And we ask that you would be pleased to fuel fruitful peacefulness in all of our life and our labor as we go from here, from worship with you. Lord, we believe. Would you help us with our unbelief? In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you please stand up responding to God's word by singing, uh, It is well with my soul, page 428, when peace like a river.
is a peace that surpasses all understanding that can guard your heart in Christ Jesus. If your heart is hungering for this peace and you want to pray with someone, we, we have someone in, in the chapel right outside these doors over on your left as you exit. If you don't know Christ personally or you long to move from religion to real relationship, we want to pray with you back there too. But for all of us who go out to serve the Lord in the fallen and fracturing world where we'll be encountered struggles and strength and pain and problems, we don't go alone. We go with God's blessing and his power. So today, please raise your hands if you're able. Receive the benediction uh, from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may be able to do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory both now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.